What is going on, everyone? This is Miles Dompierre, and welcome to the 92nd episode of Xbox Chatterdays. If you are tuning in live, things are a little bit different. We're doing it on a Thursday. This is Xbox Chatterdays on a Thursday, and it's not at 10 p.m. 10 a.m. Pacific time. It's at 1 p.m. Pacific time. So appreciate everyone hanging out for this weird show on a weird day at a weird time. I have some friends flying in from out of state this weekend, so I wasn't going to be able to do a show on Saturday, but I still wanted to have a chance to talk about all of the big developments going on this week, because for the first week of 2023, we've gotten a lot of news. There's been a lot of juicy nuggets, especially in the Xbox camp, so I wanted to make sure I got out here and had a chance to talk about it. So appreciate everyone tuning in. If you're watching after the fact, totally appreciate you, and if you're listening after the fact, totally appreciate you, as you can tell. It's a, it's a different day. It's a weird thing. I'm rocking another solo show. So you guys, you're my co-pilots today, all the live viewers, all the amazing folks tuning in. And we have a, we have a lot to talk about. So this week, Xbox has officially announced the developer direct. That's real. We're going to be talking all about that. We're going to be talking about the current state of Ubisoft, which is looking pretty dire. A lot of uh, unfortunate developments surrounding Ubisoft this week. We're going to be talking about the prospects of Xbox Game Pass in 2023, and so much more. There's there's a lot to cover this week. Some quick housekeeping before we get into all of that. We did it, y'all. Channels monetized, baby. Woo-wee! So uh, appreciate all you guys who've been tuning into the show. Showing support really means a lot, and uh, it's it's paid off because we, we speed ran the monetization process, so now Super Chats are officially live on the show. I know that's something... A lot of people have wanted and have been asking for, and we've had some solutions in the interim. But now, Super Chats are good, golden, and ready to rock. Um, In some other news, if you haven't caught the last few episodes, Xbox Chatterdays has an official Discord as well. So if you're interested in being part of our community Q&A at the end of each episode, be sure to join that. There is a link in the description for all of those interested um, and then one other quick note that I just want to touch on, um, as some of you have seen, if you follow me on social media, on Twitter, I have announced that I will be working with IGN moving forward. So, um, I'll be doing some video content with them. Super stoked about all of that. So huge shout out to everyone who shared kind words and support. It's been a, it's been a wild week and to see so many people excited about me working with IGN was pretty wild and to see all these people that I have looked up to for years and and watched their content and read their articles for years reach out and be excited about me joining the team was really cool and really surreal so yeah moving forward you'll see some work from me very soon over there on IGN um I've seen a lot of you ask if are you going to be on unlocked oh sorry if you can hear that um oh no that's going to be going off apologies there i'll have to figure out that in the interim i forgot that there's audio for that um appreciate you dropping those super chats as they're coming in now let me figure out how to turn that notification sound off so it's a little less distracting for me um but yeah so that's been cool that's been a cool development really appreciate all the kind words all the support there and uh, looking forward to starting all of that um all right, uh, since we got some super chats right out of the gate, we got Boy Rush with the heart, Benny Tech throwing some celebration, Mr. Joanna Dark says hello to my dude, Miles the Goat Dampierre, want to hit you up with a super chat to celebrate this milestone, do, do not do not touch the goat Code Veronica review at IGN LOL. 
I think we've figured it out. Thank you. Apologize. Sorry. Um, anyway, we have a lot to dive into today. There's a lot to discuss. There's a lot to talk about. And the first thing that I want to talk about today is uh, an unfortunate story, a breaking story that um, I wasn't expecting to talk about today. It wasn't on the docket for today. Um, and it's kind of video game industry adjacent, if you will. And that is some recent charges against Justin Roiland, the co-creator of Rick and Morty, and the founder of Squanch Games, who just released High on Life in Xbox Game Pass this past December that was met to a lot of positive fan reception. You've heard me say a lot of positive, glowing things about High on Life on this show, online, loved the game. It was stacked with an amazing cast of talented people that I think are hilarious. I thought the writing was fantastic. Um, and then Xbox earlier this week, they put out a, a big marketing push. You've probably seen that. The, the Say No to Humans, the anti-drug anti commercial that they put out for High on Life to really lean into the positive reception of High on Life. And then NBC broke a report pretty much 30 minutes before we went live talking about Justin Roiland's charges from 2020. So I'm just going to read this article here. Um, it's an article that I've read. It, um, it's a hard read. It touches on some pretty heavy stuff. Um, so apologies that we're starting the show with this, but it is a very important story that I do want to touch on. So this is from NBC. And it says, Rick and Morty co-creator Justin Roiland faces felony domestic violence charges. Roiland was charged with domestic battery and false imprisonment in May of 2020 after an incident with a woman he was dating, according to a criminal complaint. Justin Roiland, the star and co-creator of the animated comedy series Rick and Morty, has been charged with felony domestic violence in Orange County, California, in connection with a 2020 incident. According to a criminal complaint filed in May 2020 by the Orange County District Attorney, he appeared in court Thursday for a pre-trial hearing. Roiland ple pleaded not guilty in 2020. Roiland and his attorneys didn't respond to requests for comment. NBC's News obtained the criminal complaint in the case, which charges Roiland, 42, with one felony count of domestic battery with corporal injury and one felony count of false imprisonment by menace, violence, fraud, and or deceit. NBC News is the first to report on this publicly. So for a lot of us, this, this came out of nowhere. This wasn't something I was expecting to see in the headlines. This wasn't something I was expecting to talk about on the show today. And it, quite frankly, it wasn't something I expected to see, period, ever. But... These charges are, these are big. These are just, just to clarify what these charges actually mean. So domestic battery, I'm sure we're aware it's you assaulting someone that you live with. Corporal injury is a dark one. That is one where you are trying to cause traumatic injury to a person, usually a spouse that you love as a form of punishment. So that one's dark. And then false imprisonment, basically trapping someone within the confines of your home. Um, so very heavy, heavy charges and very, very wild and weird to see following, you know, everything that just happened with the rollout of High on Life. So the complaint states the incident occurred on or about January 19th, 2020 against an anonymous Jane Doe who was dating Royland at the time. According to Orange County Superior Court records, Royland pleaded not guilty to both charges in October 2020. Since then, the case has been the subject of more than a dozen court hearings, including pre-trial hearings. A trial date is not currently set. Many court records remain sealed, but the available public documents seen by the NBC News say Royland was 
charged in May 2020 and was arrested and released on a 50,000 bond in August 2022 and arraigned in October 2020. Um... One final thing that I want to point out here is that details of the case, including police body cam footage, police reports, abuse investigation reports, medical reports, and recordings of interviews are currently being withheld from the public under a protective order. The affidavit in support of Royland's arrest is also sealed. <laughs> so, man, um, very wild. It's a, it's a very wild story, and it's, it's not one that we can really talk about lightly, and it's not one that I really want to dive into, the, you know, whether or not he's guilty and what those implications mean. Um, it's just, I, I mostly want to touch on the fact that this sucks for everyone involved with Squanch Games, with High on Life, everyone who invested in that project. Like I touched on, Xbox just had a marketing rollout, what was it, yesterday or two days ago for High on Life? Like, clearly a lot of people have invested in this game and this project, and these charges are not light, um, and it'll be really interesting to see how this kind of all plays out in the, in the court of law. So, yeah, some wild developments that unfortunately are going to uh, taint a lot of the momentum that High on Life had and, you know, put a big question mark on the future of Squanch Games because Justin Rowland is the founder of that. If there are charges that go through with this, um, it's going to be tough for him to have a lot of advocates that want to work with a figure who is convicted of these types of charges. These these are pretty serious charges, and I'm uh, I'm just honestly a little bit bummed to be talking about it at all. So I just wanted to touch on that as it broke, as it relates to Xbox, as it relates to High on Life, and... Um, yeah, that'll be a story that we will hear a lot more about. And it's it's wild that this happened in 2020 and has been so under the radar up until this point. So, yeah, the I see Zach in the chat. High on Life 2 canceled. Yeah, the prospects of future High on Life and future Squanch titles, big question mark. Big old question mark. So, oh boy, that is, a, that is a heavy story to start with. But here we are. Here we are getting into it. Before we transition into our next topic, Nick W says, congratulations, Miles, on betting your channel, getting your channel monetized. Thank you. Appreciate that. Stoked about it. Let's move on to something a little bit more fun, and that is the Xbox Game Pass titles confirmed for January 2023. So a lot of people at the start of January were expecting Microsoft to come out of the gate day one and drop all of the Game Pass titles, hit us with the showcase that first week and just kick off 2023 with a bang. Come out of the gate swinging, all, all guns a-blazing on day one. As we know now, that didn't happen. The first week from Xbox was pretty quiet. There was no Game Pass drop. Uh, a few titles like Stranded Deep and Mortal Shell just kind of fell into Game Pass with little to no fanfare. <laughs> and a lot of people were wondering, okay, well, where, where are the, where's the official coming soon list? You know, we have our monthly ritual, we have our monthly habit, we wait for the games coming soon drop, and we get it, and we didn't really get that at the start of this month, we have since gotten our first one. So I want to take a quick moment and highlight all of the games making their way to Xbox Game Pass that have been confirmed for the month of January. We'll be talking more about some other stuff that could potentially be coming and what the rest of the year looks like, but when it comes to January, here's what's available and here's what's coming soon. 
So Stranded Deep, as I said, out now for cloud, console, and PC. Mortal Shell Enhanced Edition, which gives you some juicy Series X and S enhancements. That's out now for cloud, console, and PC. Persona 3 Portable and Persona 4 Golden are making their way to Xbox Game Pass on January 19th for cloud, console, and PC. And Monster Hunter Rise is coming on January 20th for cloud, console, and PC. Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition, the console port, is making its way to Game Pass on January 31st for console and cloud, already available on PC. And Inculinati, which is a game preview title coming to Xbox Game Pass on January 31st for console and PC. So, last year, I commended Xbox for coming out of the gate strong in January 2022. They, they really came out in a big way. We had Rainbow Six Extraction. We had Nobody Saves the World. There were so many games. And I feel like this year is also similarly, similarly stacked. No brand new day one releases. But we got Persona 3 and 4 to continue the Persona hype on Xbox. And Monster Hunter Rise. Which we all know Monster Hunter World did incredibly on Xbox Game Pass, and Monster Hunter Rise is a game that continues to have a, a dedicated following. That franchise is just enormous. So for me, specifically, it is really cool to see a lot of uh, Japanese-focused support uh, to start the month off. Persona 3, 4, and Monster Hunter Rise, that's kind of a, a really great holy trinity when it comes to Japanese support. Age of Empires 2, Definitive Edition, let's go. Shout out to the GOAT RTS, one of my favorite, you know, admittedly, in this current day and age, I'm not a huge RTS fan. But, you know, back in back in my day, back in my heyday, I uh, played a lot of Age of Empires 2. Played a lot of StarCraft and StarCraft 2. Um, but for me, Age of Empires 2 was always, it's held such a special place in my heart. Love that game so much. Really excited to see how it translates to console. Um, I have a dedicated gaming PC. I can play, you know, stuff on PC, but I'm a filthy console heathen. I prefer the console experience. And so I want to see how it controls and if they can do it. Um, there's been conflicting thoughts on Halo Wars 2, which I personally thought was an excellent RTS that controlled beautifully on a controller. They were really smart and innovative with how that worked. And I'm hoping Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition is similar. There is some gameplay available. I believe it was on the Xbox podcast with Major Nelson that shows a little bit of what the controller scheme is going to look like using a radial wheel. So let's go. Um, yeah, so overall, pretty, pretty solid month for Game Pass, but, you know, we always want more. We, it's, it's never enough. You know, all those games, that's not enough for me. That's not enough for you. We need more. We have an insatiable desire for Xbox Game Pass games, and Xbox Game Pass has kind of spoiled us. So, I've seen some conversations surrounding what the rest of 2023 might look like for Game Pass. And I've even seen some members in the community suggest that, you know, maybe third-party support for Xbox Game Pass in 2023 is going to be light. You know, maybe we're not going to get a ton of big third-party games this year. You know, Microsoft went pretty hard last year. And there's some interesting anecdotes and some interesting things I want to touch on regarding this. Because last year, we all know, we've, we've talked about it to death, Xbox was very light on the first-party front. Xbox, in a lot of ways, wasn't delivering a lot of big, high-profile first-party games. That was a glaring point of criticism from them, so they leaned heavily into third-party games and indie games to fill the gaps. And in this year, it's, it's kind of the opposite. We're going to be talking about that later on in the show, but Xbox has a lot of first-party games, you know, from gigantic 
titles on the caliber of Starfield to, you know, admittedly smaller scale projects as well. So there's a lot of opportunity for Microsoft to lean into that every single month and have a big marketing pop, a big first party marketing pop for Xbox Game Pass every single month. So the necessity to lean heavily into big third party partnerships and collaborations is probably a little bit less than it has been in the last few years because they've had huge gaps. Uh, 2021 ended strong, Forza Horizon 5, uh, Halo Infinite, but there was a period of time where there was nothing leading up to that. So Microsoft has been, has had really notable gaps, gaps that we've all talked about. So I don't want to dwell on those too much, but this year and going into the future, they're, they're poised to be a little more consistent with their output. And that puts them in a better position to much like Netflix, the, the Netflix analog where early, if you look at the start of Netflix, Netflix leaned heavily into big third-party movies, into big third-party shows because it was working on building up its exclusive library. It needed to have content to keep people excited and keep people subscribed. So it was getting your Breaking Bads, your Offices, these shows that were juggernauts that everyone was watching. Microsoft, similar strategy as well when it comes to Game Pass. And now that their first-party output is catching up and they're going to have a slate, they can lean into that a bit more. So I guess the ultimate question that I've seen people ask and I'll, I'll touch on here is, will Microsoft have less third-party support in Game Pass this year? There is a chance that yes, overall there might be less third-party support, um, but we don't have anything to indicate that so far. The first two months we have Monster Hunter Rise in January. Hugh, Capcom, baby. Capcom, one of the, I mean, I, not financially, but in the gamer sphere, they are a massive publisher with a lot of goodwill. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise, a juggernaut franchise. Day one, the first time it's coming to anything outside of PC and Switch, it's launching day one in Xbox Game Pass. So that's a big win. Next month, while this is an independent studio, technically, uh, Mundfish is dropping Atomic Heart in February. Another massive game that's had years and years of momentum and hype behind it. And that's another strategic collaboration sure yes it was supposed to come out last year and yes that might have been part of their you know original plan last year to go heavy on third-party support but as is the nature of things the game got delayed and is now coming out february so already the first two months have big pops march whoa long fallen dynasty baby let's go koei tecmo dropping a just that game looks incredible i'm so excited for whoa long fusion of if you've played neo it's it's got that fast-paced souls like combat it's got the director of neo involved it's got the director of bloodborne involved that game looks amazing and we already know those three that's january february and march big third-party games day one game pass so there's nothing really right now to suggest that microsoft isn't going to continue to have noteworthy third-party pops um i'll touch on a couple teases i've gotten here just to just to titillate y'all um but yeah you know i was i was you know i've had some people with some some knowledge on the matter um drop some teases about xbox and third party in 2023 and um basically alluded to the fact that there are things third party wise on the horizon worth being excited about i don't have any specific titles i don't have anything i can hit you with there but the overall sentiment is that the third-party support will still be strong for the remainder 
of 2023 when it comes to Xbox Game Pass. And if they can strategically align their first party and their third party for the rest of the year and have these consistent beats, whether it be an exclusive or not, if they can have consistent big moments for Game Pass, that's going to be huge when it comes to momentum and overall perception. And when it comes to keeping people subscribed to a subscription service, that is the end goal is you want to have something consistently so people have something to look forward to and people don't look at that cancel button on their subscription service. They say, you know what? Yeah, even if there isn't the biggest game ever for me this month, there were a few games that I played. So I'm, you know, I'm fine keeping my Game Pass subscription going. So I think there is big potential for the rest of 2023 when it comes to Xbox Game Pass and third party. But there is also a potential for Microsoft to lean very aggressively into first party as well and have just those big, more or less the ones we know about, your Lies of P, your Arc 2s, etc. that are the big moments and then fill the rest of the year with first party, which if you're a hardcore Xbox fan and you've been someone who's been very vocal about Xbox's lack of first party support, that's what you want. That's that's a drum that a lot of people have been banging for a long time, and Microsoft has heard those complaints loud and clear, and time and time again, and I think we're getting to a point where they can actually finally start delivering on that. Again, we always joke about the meme of, wait till next E3 year, or wait till next year, and uh, <laughs> I think that year might actually be here, guys. I think that year might actually be here. 2023 might be the year where we don't have to say, wait till next time, all right? And um, for Xbox fans who've wanted that, I think that's really exciting. And there's some really interesting potential and possibilities there. So, yeah, as Donna Otaku in the chat says here, um, there's already 50 plus day one Game Pass games confirmed for Game Pass this year. And the quality is much higher so far. So it's already going to be a better year than 2022. Yeah, I mean, you look at a lot of the games that were in the game of the year conversation in 2022, like whether it's the game of the year category or a bunch of categories across the board there was there were so many games so many that launched day one on xbox game pass in that conversation and that shows that they are being very particular about how they curate titles for xbox game pass because again another i think you know ill will a little, a little bad faith argument that gets used when it comes to game pass is the game pass filler phrase you see thrown around again that's i think just a small fraction of people who try to downplay what Xbox Game Pass is doing. But that being said, there's evidence that shows that's that's not their approach. You know, it's not about just filling the service with anything and everything. It's about curating a service that is compelling and curating a service that keeps people subscribed and pulls in new subscribers. Because you really need to diversify that if you want to grow that audience and get more people going in. Because as much as we love our, our hard, quote unquote, hardcore games, brother, uh, you got to have some stuff for the casuals and, and family oriented stuff as well. And those are categories I think they can do a better job on. And I think with stuff like party animals, it shows that they're paying attention to that and trying to fill the gaps in the meantime. Uh, <laughs> Blind Mephisto says, still not sure how Crossfire X got past the filters. Ooh. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to talk about Crossfire X for good reason. It was a that game was unfortunate in a lot of ways. You had Remedy behind it, which come on. Like, I just got done replaying through Alan Wake Remastered. Um, I'm getting ready to start up Control again. Uh, Remedy, incredible. They've made some of the best games of all time. And they were attached to the campaign, and then uh, that campaign hit, and it, it wasn't great. 
It wasn't great, and that was really unfortunate because that was, again, a day one Game Pass drop. It was one of the big exclusives for Xbox at the start of the year, and it came and landed with a thud, and everyone moved beyond it, and it was just very quickly forgotten about, which which is unfortunate because it's a stain on Game Pass curation, and it's a stain on uh, Remedy, which sucks because otherwise, both of those Game Pass, that team, and Remedy, that team, has been very consistent and very excellent. So kind of a bummer there. Another thing that's been popping up in regards to Xbox Game Pass in 2023 are some rumors of the family Xbox Game Pass family plan. We know that's a thing. We know it's being tested in other markets like Ireland. But there's been some uh, screenshots floating around online, some little pop-ups for some folks that have advertised the Xbox Game Pass family plan in the United States, in the big old USA, which has led a lot of people to believe that maybe the official drop of Xbox Game Pass Family Plan is coming in the very near future. So for a lot of us, that is really exciting. I, I console share with my wife. Um, we, we live in, obviously we live in the same house, but uh, we have the Series X in my office, which I use, and the Series S in our living room. We got to do the console share to make that work. Um, but you know, when there's an internet outage or a, a network outage, I can't use my series X anymore. It's just become unusable. And the family plan uh, allows me, me to have a, a means of, of keeping that going and, and being able to use that continuously when there are these network outages. So excited about that. Already have my squad of, I think it's five people. That's, that's the current rumor. You're going to be able to add five people and they will all get the perks of Xbox game pass ultimate for one low monthly cost. And now a lot of people have speculated on what the cost might be. We've seen people do the conversion from the the from Ireland to I forget what the other country was. I don't think it was Colombia, but there's one other country. They've done the conversions and decided maybe it's 24.99 a month. Which if you look at other models like uh, Nintendo Switch online and its family plan, it is a little bit less than double the price to get five or eight people on there. So that, I think that would be a similar strategy for Xbox Game Pass. Keep it a little less than double the price of one Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscription. Get five people on there and uh, just basically increase that cost per month pop. Because really, I think this is a way to pull in new customers, your, your families, obviously, the family plan. And then it's a way to increase the, the value spend of people who are already subscribed. Maybe you have a buddy who's been on the fence. He's like, eh, I don't know, dude. I don't play that much on Xbox. I don't know if I need Game Pass, whatever. You can say, hey, man, throw me, throw me a few bucks. We'll get you on my family plan. And that way, that person who was not going to spend any money on Game Pass is now in that ecosystem. So there's a lot of smart plays and a lot of smart possibilities there. With it, you know, being on the storefront for Xbox Game Pass on PC in the United States, I have a feeling that it's only a matter of time before we get a blog post detailing when exactly that'll begin testing. I think it's obviously it's already testing in some capacity. I don't know if it's just strictly internal not internal or not or alpha beta testing but i think we'll start getting some more widespread testing in the very near future some people are suggesting that maybe even on january 25th at the xbox developer direct but i i personally think that would be a separate thing just a separate blog post detailing that and i'm not expecting to see the xbox game pass family plan as part of the developer direct in some other disappointing news we got to talk a little bit about ubisoft and um their very rough week 
you know, we, we at the start of the show, we talked about Justin Roiland and the rough developments there. But Ubisoft has had a financially crushing week. And they've obviously had some rough times over the last few months as well. And they've shared some insights into the, the prospects of the future here. Before I dive into all of that, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone who is tuning in live. Appreciate you joining me on a weird Thursday show at a weird time for a weird solo show. So if you're hanging out, having a good time, hit that like button, share the show out, and let's talk about Ubisoft. Because obviously there have been a lot of uh, turbulent industry changes. We've seen a lot of developers and publishers talk about tough economic times. We've seen a lot of people outside of the games industry talk about the economy and what's going on there. Um, but Ubisoft has hit has been hit particularly hard, and they had to share some unfortunate news this week, including the cancellation of three unannounced projects in addition to the cancellations of several more last year. So I think they have canceled a total of seven projects in the last year. So a huge number of unannounced projects have been canceled. And then one more time with feeling Skull and Bones has yet again been delayed. So Skull and Bones is now coming at a much later date. They're also talking about $200 million worth of cost cutting measures being um, implemented in the coming year to, to keep the company afloat, basically. It, it's a really rough development. It's really unfortunate. And a lot of us, you know, can meme on Ubisoft and their games, and they have had a lot of misses in recent years. But it is kind of, kind of disappointing to see a major publisher, one of the biggest publishers in the industry, talk about struggling, strug struggling to, you know, make the money that they need to be strong and be healthy. And that's going to mean a lot of negative changes for developers. A lot of the, the team members at Ubisoft Studios are going to be negatively impacted by all of these changes, whether it's through layoffs or whether it's through, you know, a change in culture and a change in how they approach these, these titles, it's going to impact them. So <sighs> Ubisoft CEO Yves Gimmo has blamed the dire financial situation on weaker than expected sales for Mario and Rabbids and the delay of skull and bones so he sent an email out to all the employees this week and then he's and that that email has been making the round so here's what the ceo had to say about the developments surrounding ubisoft today more than ever i need your full energy and commitment to ensure we get back on the path to success he wrote i'm also look asking that each of you be especially careful and strategic with your spending and initiatives to ensure we're being as efficient and lean as possible. So additionally, he called on the team to essentially course correct, saying, the ball is in your court to deliver this lineup on time and at the expected level of quality and show everyone what we are capable of achieving. One final thing that the CEO blamed or cited for poor performance was the industry shifting towards quote mega brands and everlasting games. So let's, let's dive into all of this because there's a lot, there's a lot to cover. Um, this email was lengthy. This email touched on a lot of factors and it touched on a lot of the struggles that Ubisoft and uh, other publishers realistically have been facing. So let's start with skull and bones, skull and bones first revealed at E3 2018. We're coming up on five years that this game has been revealed. It's been delayed numerous times. It was supposed to come out this March, I believe, and has now been pushed from this March to just a fiscal year of next year. So anytime between April 2023 
and March of 2024. So there's a world where Skull and Bones is now pushed to 2024. And I know the game's been memed on. It started as this passion project from basically a team that was really excited about the black flag sailing mechanics. And they're like, you know what? What if we make a game out of that? What if we really lean into that and make a full-fledged pirate game? When it was first revealed, it was only going to be a pi- it was only going to be the ships. It was only going to be ship-to-ship combat. There were no elder- other elements of it. When they did the big re-reveal last year, they showed off, you know, you can get off on sea posts and you can customize your pirate. And they tried to kind of sort of lean into the like Sea of Thieves style, full-fledged pirate experience as opposed to the isolated boat experience. But um yeah, unfortunately, they don't know what they want to do with that game. It feels like it's just it that game. Hopefully, at the, at the end of all of this, launches in a solid state and launches as a great game. Clearly, people within the company believe in the game and what it can be. And clearly, there have been people behind the scenes pushing to make sure that the game has the time and gets the resources it needs to to be a hit. Because otherwise, they would have canceled this a long, long time ago. There have been games that have been canceled for a lot less. <laughs> and um, there were a lot of question marks, I think, with the re-reveal of this game when it comes to how they presented it. A lot of people assumed you could, you know, basically sword fight freely. Nope, there's no sword fighting. You can only be your pirate when you're at sea posts. So it was this kind of half measure that went from only ship combat to okay, you kind of sort of have a pirate, you kind of sort of have a multiplayer component, it's kind of sort of an MMO, and there was all of these weird components that they were just mashing together in this ball to see, you know, what Skull and Bones could maybe be. And um, <laughs> at this point, yeah, if it's getting delayed again, I'm, I'm hoping for the best for everyone there. It's got to be disappointing and frustrating to have this project shift and morph all over the place and I'm a big fan of pirate games. I love Sea of Thieves. I know a lot of people don't like the PvP online-only component of it, and Skull and Bones maybe kind of sort of was going to be an answer to that for some people. So, for their sake, I hope this comes out and is a great game. Um, so Ubisoft has talked about mega brands, that people are investing more in, quote, mega brands and leaning exclusively into mega brands. Um, it's weird that they mention that in th- in the same breath as yeah Mario didn't do well our Mario game <laughs> our Mario game performed under expectations because people are only leaning into mega brands so not only is Ubisoft one of the biggest publishers in the gaming industry but they are talking about the poor performance of a Mario game one of the biggest brands in the world period Regardless, not just isolated gaming. Mario is one of the most powerful brands in the world. So it's weird that they're talking about people leaning into mega brands, considering they're so big, considering they're working with massive IP, and considering they're talking about the poor performance of a Mario video game. They also talk about the the everlasting games, and I think that is an interesting point. We are seeing more and more people chase the uh, games as a service high, the games as a service possibilities because of juggernauts like Fortnite that come out and say, bam, here's how you do it. And here's how you guarantee you have infinite money coming in for perpetuity. Obviously, there's no guarantee that Fortnite will be as big as it is forever. 
I don't think that really happens in this day and age, but Fortnite has been a consistent, successful juggernaut in the video games industry, and that has led a lot of people to chase that. They, they see that carrot, they see that the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and they are scrambling to get there. And Ubisoft has been one of the worst offenders when it comes to chasing that, but not committing to it. They've done a lot of free-to-play games, uh, Hyperscape, or Hyperspace, Hyperscape, uh, Roller Champions, They've tried. They've tried multiple different genres, multiple different styles of games to to be in that space and to have that ongoing game. But none of them actually get the ongoing support. None of them come out of the, the gate in a in a strong, compelling way. And then they're going to blame, you know, the industry as a whole for these failings when really, I think, as they kind of touch on in this email as well, they need to be more specific. They need to be more intentional with the games they put out instead of trying to check all of these boxes for everyone throw a bunch of things at the wall and and hope that one sticks they need to really truly invest in one and have that be the showcase and have that be their ongoing game another thing that makes that complicated and it's an important layer to touch on is that that is risky that is a huge risk for a company and i know these companies have millions of dollars and their CEOs make million, millions of dollars. And I, you know, I don't really feel too bad for the CEOs in these situations, but I do feel for a lot of the team members there because there is this huge risk and there's this huge pressure when you put years and years of development in and millions and millions of dollars into a project and then it doesn't hit. That's going to impact the support of the game. That's going to impact the future of the studio. That's going to impact the future of the publisher as a whole. If they have all of their teams, which it seems like in this case are in a situation where they've had games that haven't hit on the level that they need to hit. And that compounds because if you're if this game that this company invested millions and millions of dollars into doesn't land in a big way, doesn't get that money coming in, they don't have money to put into the next project. And they don't have money, you know, maybe to even finish some of the projects that they currently have going because they were already banking on this game coming out and making X dollars or having X revenue stream coming in. So there, there's a lot of complicated stuff involved. And I try not to downplay that and just say, well, Ubisoft sucks. And that's that's why they're bad. Ubisoft is bad and that's why they have no money. And I hope they close because that's that's not how I feel. Like there's a lot of passionate people who just want an outlet and just want to support a support system that allows them to make these games. And Ubisoft has some of the most beloved IP ever. Assassin's Creed is a huge deal to so many people. So yeah, um, hopefully they find a way to stabilize their business and you know restructure and reprioritize their projects in a way that makes it so, you know, it's not just the the meme of, oh, another Ubisoft game. Oh, it's another Ubisoft open world game. Here we go. And they'll paint by the numbers with a different skin on it, hopefully they find a way to have pops that are meaningful and stand out in the space and, and pull people in because that's something they clearly are, are struggling to do. <sighs> Lubricate my throat here. Um, you know, doing all the heavy lifting on a solo show, I got to fill all that dead air. <laughs> fill all that dead air. All right, so let's move on to another topic, a big topic, probably the biggest topic in the Xbox camp this week, and that is the Xbox Developer Direct. It's confirmed, y'all. After the Game Awards, I think the um, the spirit of the <laughs> of the Xbox fandom really took a hit. You know, if you were on social media, if you were online. 
there were a lot of people really down about Xbox, really bummed, really disappointed, and even really angry about Xbox's lack of presence towards the end of last year, when last year for them was, as we've touched on, not, not the strongest year in terms of their first-party game output. And when they didn't show up at the Game Awards in any capacity outside of a few ads, I think for a lot of people that was kind of the, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. And you saw this, this radical shift in how people talked about Xbox online for a couple weeks. But with that came this, this, you know, this quelling rumor that, you know, Xbox is working on something. They weren't just skipping the Game Awards just to skip the Game Awards. They were skipping the Game Awards because they were working on something else. And I talked about this previously because I was at the Game Awards this year and I, you know, off the record, talked to some folks at Xbox and I was like, yo, what's up? <laughs> what's going on? What was with the decision to skip the Game Awards? Because in the past, they've leaned heavily into the Game Awards with Hellblade, with um, the Series X reveal, with Perfect Dark, with trailers for their, their previously announced games. We had seen a lot of Xbox stuff and Xbox Game Pass titles at the Game Awards, and this year Xbox was like, nah, peace, we're good. Nah, that ain't my bag, that ain't my thing. And and so for me, I've talked about this previously, I was, I was a little disappointed because the games industry, or the Game Awards is a chance for the entire industry to come together. It's a chance for Xbox games to be on a stage with everyone, with PlayStation fans, with Nintendo fans. No matter who you are, you're going to be tuning in. If you like video games, you're tuning into the Game Awards. And as we saw, the numbers of the Game Awards are far greater than anything Xbox has produced. Um, Xbox, I don't think, can have a show that's going to do the numbers that the Game Awards did last year. And that's fine. But Xbox decided that they wanted to do their own thing. So Monday, a report came out from our pal Jez Corden, who said, Xbox is doing a show this month. It is coming on January 25th. And it's called the developer underscore direct. And uh, kind of in the article, he talked about what might be there, the games that might be there, the fact that Starfield might not be there. And for a couple days, there was a lot of wild speculation about, oh my God, what's, what's this mean? Starfield's not going to be there. Is Starfield delayed? And then on Wednesday, we got the confirmation of the developer direct. And we got a lot of information on what exactly is going to be at the de developer direct. So... First off, before we touch on all this, I just want to say that I really appreciate how transparent this whole article was. It's a blog post on Xbox that talks about, you know, basically everything you can expect from this showcase in, in detail. So I want to go through that so everyone is on the same page when it comes to expectations for this show, and then we're going to talk about it. So, the Xbox Developer Direct, January 25th at 12 p.m. PT. 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Xbox and Bethesda to present the Developer Direct livestream on January 25th. So, obviously, in this article, they detail everything that's coming, and they touch on Starfield. So, uh, real quick, before we touch on what's going to be at the show, uh, I want to read this particular line. Yep. To dedicate the proper amount of time for a deep dive into Bethesda Game Studio Starfield, a standalone show is in the works. So if you haven't read this post, if you're still expecting Starfield at this developer direct, uh, it will not be there. So mentally prepare. And I'm, I'm very glad that they addressed that out of the gate because I was worried that they weren't going to touch on Starfield and then they were going to have this show. Starfield wasn't going to be there. And no matter how cool all of these other games looked and no matter how much gameplay we got for all of these other games, 
people were going to say, well, where's Starfield? Why don't we have Starfield? So I'm glad that they just came out and said, hey, hold up, don't calm down. Starfield is getting its own show. That's not the focus of this first developer direct. So the developer direct is going to be a showcase that is presented by the game creators themselves. So it's going to be a roughly 45 ish minute showcase hosted by the creators of these games, talking about their games and showing off gameplay. So here's what you can expect from the first Xbox developer direct the Elder Scrolls online. Studio director Matt Fearer will unveil 2023's major chapter update, including the latest regions of Tamriel to become playable in ESO, as well as a major new feature coming in the game's biggest update this year. The developer direct will immediately be followed by the full standalone ESO chapter reveal event hosted by ZeniMax Online Studios, which will provide all the in-depth details ESO players will be keen to know. Next up, Forza Motorsport. The team at Turn 10 Studios have been hard at work bringing fans the next generation of Forza Motorsport, built from the ground up to take advantage of Xbox Series X and S. Forza Motorsport is back, and we can't wait to share more gameplay and exciting new details. Then we have Minecraft Legends. Mojang Studios will showcase an insider's look into the PvP multiplayer experience in Minecraft Legends, the upcoming action strategy game from the makers of Minecraft. Developed in partnership with Blackbird Interactive and launching this spring, don't miss exclusive gameplay footage at the Developer Direct. And then finally, we have Redfall. The minds behind Dishonored and Prey, Arcane Austin, will showcase several minutes of gameplay from their upcoming FPS. The, the Developer Direct will reveal single and multiplayer gameplay, showing more of how you and your friends will take down bloodthirsty vampires on the picturesque island of Redfall, Massachusetts. Fans can expect to learn more about combat, customization, bosses, the open world, and more. All right, so we got a lot of we got a lot of really good information out of this. So first, firstly, they specifically detail the games you will see. They specifically put a little blurb for all of the games that you will see. Elder Scrolls Online, we're going to get a new chapter there. Forza Motorsport, we're going to see some gameplay, hopefully on Xbox Series X and S. They specifically talk about leaning into the, what the Xbox Series X and S can do there. Minecraft Legends, it'll be cool to see what this PvP mode is. It'll be cool to get a little more you know, details on the scope of this. Um, Redfall, that's my most anticipated game right now, y'all. Redfall, baby, let's go. So stoked to get a deep dive of... of the gameplay, and especially what the multiplayer looks like. Because one of the main reasons I'm excited about Redfall, I guess there's a few. One, it's horror, let's go. And two, it's co-op. And co-op and horror, mm, that is a recipe for a Miles ass game if there ever was one. And Arcane has been amazing when it comes to player agency. Um, so what I wanna see and what I wanna know is how these powers interact when you're playing in multiplayer. Because I imagine you can play the entire game single player, but I have to imagine if they're bothering to do full-on co-op, that your powers are going to mesh and incorporate in really interesting ways. Because, you know, Arcane has been really excellent when it comes to empowering player agency. And if they can, you know, tag team that in multiplayer, I'm really excited to see what that is. So, Starfield. Let's, let's touch on Starfield here, because obviously Starfield... That is the most anticipated Xbox game, generally speaking. That is one of the most anticipated games of 2023. That game is going to be absolutely enormous. So a lot of people want to know when they're playing it, what it looks like. Give me those details. I need them now. It's not coming at this first show. So January 25th, no Starfield. 
What are my expectations for the show? And what are your expectations for the show? My expectations are exactly, <laughs> exactly. It seems like they've been very um, specific with this show to set expectations and say, these are the four things you will see. Expect those things. And those are my expectations. I'm expecting to see everything that is mentioned in the blog post, and I don't think anything else. I Will there be some surprises? Will there be something cool there? Maybe. It would be nice to have a little surprise Game Pass drop or a little surprise announcement. But the fact that they are bringing out the creators, and it's called the Developer Direct. So I imagine every single component of this will be led by someone from the development team. Um, I imagine that's hard just to casually bring someone in, fly someone in to say, hey, here's a Game Pass announcement. So I have to imagine that these are all going to be deeper dives and these are all going to take up the bulk of this time. And we're going to get really meaningful chunks of gameplay and really meaningful chunks of insight into this. I know a lot of people look at PlayStation and say, how come Xbox doesn't do those big state of plays that are like 15 minutes? We saw a bunch for God of War and Horizon where we just got a big, huge chunk of gameplay. And I saw a lot of people in the Xbox camp say, yo, I want, I want Xbox to do something like that. We get cool gameplay trailers every once in a while. And the last time we saw the big gameplay slice, I think was Halo Infinite. And uh, we all know how that went. Uh, so a lot of Xbox fans want that and want Xbox to be a little bit better about that. So I think this is a direct answer to that. And it will be cool to have the developers be the voice of the game because they're going to be the experts. They're going to be able to talk about these systems and talk about these ideas and talk about the reasons they're doing it better than anyone else. So I think that's an interesting approach. Um, in terms of pacing, in terms of, you know, what I want in that side, it's obviously going to be a longer format show. Obviously, it's not going to be the quick pop that ever, I think a lot of people, I, I touched on this when I wrote my editorial, is a lot of people do want that quick marketing pop. They want the Nintendo Direct style, where it's just game, 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 20 minutes of just 10 games. This will not be that. Definitely. They've, they've set that expectation right away. This, this show will not be that. It's going to be longer form for all of these. So if you want that quick pop, they, they haven't come up with that format just, just yet. That being said, if they can lean into this style of show every couple months to let you know what the next few months look like from Xbox, I think that's going to be huge. So I think it's safe to say that we're going to get release dates for most of the titles here obviously elder scrolls online we'll definitely get that we'll definitely know when the next chapter is coming we'll definitely know when we get to play that uh, but we might actually get release dates for forza motorsport minecraft legends and redfall i think there was a the german version of the xbox blog post specifically said release dates for forza motorsport and redfall don't know if that was a mistranslation or they just decided to share some extra details over there but i did see that making the rounds so those two in particular it seems a little more likely but in the blog post they reiterate that stuff like minecraft legends is coming in spring so if all of these games are targeting spring ish then i have to imagine that we're going to get a bunch of release dates release dates for almost all of these so overall, I'm very excited. I'm really excited to see Xbox's, an Xbox show that leans heavily into gameplay. I'm really excited about the possibilities of Xbox meaningfully leaning into its developers and Xbox Game Studios and, and the power of its development teams to 
get people excited about their games. And I'm really excited about Xbox having an, uh, giving developers an opportunity to get themselves out there. Um, because I think that's really important is, you know, having a space and having these moments to remind ourselves that video games are made by human beings, at least for now, at least until we are completely, you know, be until humanity becomes obsolete when everything is made by AI and AIs have absorbed all human creation and made humans obsolete because of it. Until that moment, uh, video games are made by humans. And I think that's really important to highlight and it adds a little bit of you know humanity to to the overall experience and to the industry and so when you when you get a face to a name chances are you're gonna you know be a little more empathetic about what goes into it and a little more empathetic about the design decisions that go into video games and what these people were going for when they made these choices um so i do think that's important i'm excited to see how it plays out and i'm excited for the rest of the year because you know, even though it wasn't week one, day one of 2023, Xbox has still come out pretty strong at the start of the year and said, all right, let's get excited. Let's we're going to have a strong year. We're going to have some cool stuff to show. And here's the first piece of that. And I think that is really, really important for Xbox, especially as we've touched on after 2022's um, light, light, light output. <laughs> I see nine lives in the chat says Miles. You think Starfield gets delayed? All right, y'all, let's get into the next topic here, which is one I'm excited to touch on. We're going to have a little fun here. We're going to get a little weird and wild with it, and we're, go we're going to hash out Xbox's games road the Xbox Games Roadmap for 2023. So last week on Twitter, I took to Twitter, and I had a little, little guesstimate about you know what Xbox's slate might look like for the rest of 2023, how they can lean into exclusives, how they can lean into Game Pass games, and you know what it, what it might look like for Xbox when it comes to exclusives and when it comes to first-party games in 2023. Because, again, I don't want to dwell on it, but a lot of people are still mad about 2022. And 2022 has put a big question mark on Xbox's ability to be consistent because... Um, a lot of people are saying, well, we've heard the same stories over and over, year after year. Xbox has not delivered on this, and now I don't believe that Xbox can deliver on it. And if you feel that way, that's, that's fine. That's, you're you're enti entitled to that. You have every right to feel that way. But I'm personally excited about this year. I'm personally very optimistic. And when you look outside the bubble of Xbox exclusives, I'm eating good, baby. This year, for as a horror fan, good lord, I don't know what I did or who I pleased in the in the cosmos, but man, this is a miles ass year for video games, and I'm here for it. All right, we got Alan Wake Two, we got Dead Space Remake, we got Resident Evil Four, we got Killer Clowns from Outer Space, we got Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Even if that was it, even if that was the entire slate, I don't have anything to complain about. Then you sprinkle in a Redfall, then you then you sprinkle in Zelda. Then you sprinkle in Spider-Man 2. Then you sprinkle in a Starfield. And my God, this year is ridiculous. But that aside, let's let's zoom in on Xbox here because this is Xbox Chatter Days. We are here to focus on Xbox. And let's talk about what the roadmap for Xbox in 2023 could look like. So before the show, I sat down. I reread this blog post. I looked at my original roadmap. And I said, you know what? All right, let's, let's make some changes here. And let's look at what xbox's xbox's 2023 could look like because they are in a position right now where they could realistically do almost one first party game per month they could almost do one noteworthy first party game per month and i'm sorry but it does whether whether or not it's a starfield level game every month you cannot be more consistent than that 
And that type of consistency is borderline impossible to maintain. So I don't know if they'll be that consistent, but if they can get to a pace where they're close to that, and every single month there's a big Xbox first-party game, we're in a good place. We're in a really good place, and I have a hard time, you know, really taking anyone seriously who says otherwise at that point. If almost one first-party game per month isn't enough for you to be happy, then I don't know, because PlayStation doesn't do that. Nintendo doesn't do that. I, I don't know who can, and I don't know if anyone ever will be able to do that consistently, especially as the as the industry changes. But let's start with January. Confirmed. We know Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition for console is coming January 31st. Check. Done. That's one. February. I don't think Xbox is going to have any first party games in February. But when it comes to Game Pass drops, this is not an exclusive by any means, but we have Atomic Heart. That is confirmed for February. So boom, that's a nice little way to fill the gap. Lean into that. Lean into your marketing partners. Lean into your third party partners and really celebrate these games that are coming to Game Pass because on the months where you have a big Game Pass game and um, you don't have a first party game, shout it from the rooftops. Shout it from the rooftops and make these teams feel good about it. Make these teams excited about launching a Game Pass. And that's the smartest thing they can do. In March, whether you want to count this or not, I count this because Bethesda is under the Xbox banner at this point. Ghostwire Tokyo. I think that is going to be, that's not confirmed, but I'm pretty sure that's going to be coming in March of 2023 as well. And additionally, when it comes to another high-profile Game Pass drop, Wolong, Fallen Dynasty, boom. That's a strong, those two alone make that a strong month for Game Pass. And then again, when it comes to first party, we got Age of Empires 2 in January, Ghostwire Tokyo in March, April. So originally I had Forza in, I had Forza in July. Originally, when I did my post last week, I had Forza in July because I hadn't watched the Major Nelson blog where they reiterated that Forza was coming in spring. And that was like a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. So they really very recently reiterated that Forza Motorsport was coming in spring. And the fact that this is one of the titles featured at this developer direct makes me feel like they are going to be able to hit that spring target. So I'm thinking that Forza Motorsport could potentially hit in April. Nice, nice April drop. Not a, not a ton of competition there. Gives that game plenty of legs to um, you know run around wild, if you will. Um, Aura, History Untold. That's going to be a PC-only drop initially, um, but I think that that has potential to ship in April as well. I know that's targeting early 2023, but again, with not a lot of competition in April, something like Forza Motorsport and Aura in particular... I want Xbox to make sure these games have opportunities to shine within the platform. That's something Microsoft hasn't been great about in the past. Uh, we've seen them stack their own games right next to each other after having huge periods of no games at all. I think that approach doesn't work anymore, and I don't think they should lean into it. I know people are like, well, you can just drop any game wherever. You don't have to care about what third-party partners are doing. You don't have to care about what the rest of the month looks like. I see that with Starfield a lot. They're like, well, drop it anywhere. It doesn't matter. I want to play Starfield. Yes, but also Xbox needs to look at the, the industry as a whole. Look at the slate as a whole. Look at your partners. There's all this complex, boring business stuff that goes into these relationships. Um, and whether or not, even if it's not going to necessarily negatively impact performance, you know, you don't want to be that guy who drops Starfield the day of like a Resident Evil 4 or another huge high profile third party game because you still want a good relationship with that developer that developer and that publisher. So 
why do that? If you have an opportunity to release a game where there's nothing else around, do it. I, I, I'm so tired of all of these games having these hard fiscal cutoffs where no matter what, people don't care. They don't look at the rest of the industry. They all say, all right, February and March. I'm putting my games out in February and March. I don't care what the rest of the slate looks like. I'm so tired of it. It's such a weird approach. And Xbox is in a position where they don't need to do that. They have Xbox Game Pass. They have Microsoft, the entire organization, keeping this consistent revenue stream coming in. They don't need to. They have more flexibility than really anyone else. If we're being real, if we're looking at PlayStation, we're looking at Nintendo, Microsoft and Xbox, because of their infrastructure, has more flexibility than anyone else in the entire industry. And really, they need to start acting like it when it comes to how they release their games. So when I look at the roadmap, I don't really ever want to see two big first party games in the same month. I know they're going to ship the games when they're ready. And that's cool. You want to celebrate that. You want to get your teams excited about it. But there's no need to stack games next to each other, especially when it comes to big games. So as it's been rumored, I, I believe this rumor. I've talked to some people behind the scenes about, you know, Redfall and the information and where it's coming from. I do think Redfall is going to be coming in May. I do believe originally it was probably coming sooner, probably coming in April. Originally, it was probably going to fill that really empty gap in the middle of April where there weren't any big games. But, you know, the, the realities of de development needed a few more weeks to, to get, a, get across the finish line. So I think that is coming um, in May now. Maybe the first week, hopefully the first week. So next up, I think Minecraft Legends squeaks in right at the, right at the end of spring. Either late May or early June, Minecraft Legends is popping in. Now, here's where things get interesting. And I'm not here to upset people. I'm not here to, you know, rile anyone up. I don't know. I don't know when Starfield is dropping. I don't know when Starfield is dropping. Um, they've recently put up the support site that suggested that Starfield is still coming in the first half of 2023. Um... It's also not part of their big showcase. We, they have confirmed that an, a dedicated showcase is coming after the fact. I wholeheartedly believe that. I think we'll get the nice 30 minutes that everyone wants of Starfield. And I think that'll probably come in maybe February or March. Um, considering that this developer direct is at the end of February, though, I'm probably leaning towards March. Um, and if they give us the release date in March, that doesn't give a ton of time to really start the marketing machine again. Because as you saw with the original release date of Starfield, 11-11-22, they had so much time, months and months and months to build that marketing machine and get those wheels in motion. And because this is a huge game for them, they're going to want to do the same here. So I don't know if they are going to do a quick turnaround and say, Starfield, okay, yeah, it's coming in two months. Coming in, It's coming in June. I imagine... June is the soonest we see Starfield. I don't think there is a world where, again, you can clip this if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's a world where Starfield comes out before Redfall. Um, I know people are saying March. I, I don't. I really don't see it in March. I really, really don't see it in March. Um, and I don't see it before Redfall. Um, they want it, like I said, you don't want to crush the launch of Redfall, which is objectively in the grand scheme of things, a smaller game than Starfield. You don't want it. You got to be smart with how you pace these games out. So you really, again, Redfall needs space. Redfall needs time. I want it to have at least a full month where it's the Xbox game. 
where it has that full dedicated month to just thrive and be the game that people are talking about on the Xbox platform and really, you know, lift Arcane up to the, the position a lot of people believe they should be in. I really want that to be the case. So that being said, I think earliest, if, if I'm being just completely honest with how I feel about Starfield, earliest last possible week of June would be the earliest I'm expecting Starfield. And I could see it coming a little bit later and not significantly later. Like in here, I have July question mark. Like, I don't know, maybe it doesn't quite make June. Like, yeah, you know what? It's not the first half of 2023, but it's close enough. All right, it's July. Here you go. And then there, chances are there's nothing else in July. So then it'll have July and then the rest of 2023 to be this juggernaut. Because as I've seen people touch on, you can drop Starfield whenever. But um, Starfield will have legs, much like Skyrim, much like Fallout, much like Elden Ring last year. It's going to be a game that hits and continues to be a hit and continues to build an audience. So I know people say, well, why would you release a big game in summer? Why not? If you can release a, the, one of the biggest games of the year in summer, why not? July, nothing else is around. Starfield will absolutely dominate the entire conversation. It will dominate months and months and months because chances are, depending on the timing of something like a Spider-Man 2 or whatever else a PlayStation might have for the rest of the year, there might not be anything for months that people that's on that scale. So then you'll just have this, this free wave of just months long Starfield hype. And so I think, why not? But again, I think June is the earliest, but I'm, I'm hesitant to say June because like I said, I... Imagine there are some conversations happening behind the scenes about making sure games like Redfall, making sure games like Minecraft Legends, making sure games like Forza have their moments. Xbox needs to give their games the moments. And I know different strokes for different folks, you know, but also when we look at June, we have Diablo, we have Final Fantasy 16. There's a lot of stuff in June as it is, and they could release it right in the middle of that just wave of huge games. Just make June the, the most stacked month ever <laughs> or they could wait a few weeks and drop it in the middle of july with nothing around and just dominate so i don't know that's why i put a, star a question mark on starfield because i don't know i could easily see starfield getting pushed past the first half of 2023 and i know a lot of fans don't want to hear that i'm not saying that just to say it i'm just saying that because of the scope and scale and and the polish the big thing about Starfield and the big thing about this release under Xbox Game Studios, this will be the first Bethesda Softworks game released under Xbox Game Studios. They need to make sure that this is the best playing and the best performing Bethesda Softworks game. They do. It sucks for them. It's a lot of pressure to put on the team. I'm sure they, they feel it, but they, they have to because that's the promise that they sold the world on with Xbox Game Studios. And that's the reason they wanted everyone to be excited about them buying up all of these teams is because that means that their games will be the best that they've ever been. And, you know, I want to believe that. I want to believe in, in the good of that and the good of the industry. And I want to believe that when Starfield comes out, it will be the best Bethesda game ever. It'll be the most polished Bethesda game ever. And that's kind of the... Uh, you know, the Kool-Aid I've been drinking when it comes to Xbox Game Studios and, and what, what that means for these teams. And I'm always, a, you know, an advocate for the developer. I'm always an advocate for the person working behind the scenes to ship these games. And so that's why, you know, I feel when games come out in a state that's buggy. Because you know there were people behind the scenes 
kicking and screaming saying no please give us more time don't don't rush this out it's not ready and then you have the game come out you have this just backlash of negativity and that person who worked hard for years and years has to deal with the repercussions of that and has to listen to people online talk negatively about their game and i that's that just sucks it just it's just, and like i said microsoft as as much as the industry as a whole is not in a great position microsoft has the resources to alleviate that more than a lot of others do so i hope that they do i really hope that they do uh, august arc 2 baby i i've seen people like tim dog say that arc could be delayed to next year maybe yeah because arc was one of the ones that was featured last year that was supposed to be coming in the first half of 2023 i don't think it's coming in the first half of 2023 and there is a chance it doesn't come in 2023 at all. But I want to believe that maybe an, maybe a late summer, maybe we see going into fall arc two and Vin Diesel come across the finish line and drop that in a game pass. Because that, that's going to be an exclusive for Xbox. It's going to be a huge game. Not enough people are talking about how huge arc is. The first arc, go on Steam. Go on Steam and look at the concurrent players. Compare that to pretty much any multiplayer game. That thing is still years and years later doing so well it had such a huge community on xbox it was a really big game preview push it was one of the first game preview games on xbox and it was one of the biggest game preview games on xbox so it's got this legacy it's got this established following and that dropping day one in game pass is going to be huge for xbox whether that's in late 2023 or 2024 it's still going to be a massive game all right next up september September seems like a great time to sprinkle in Age of Empires 4 for console, baby. Just get that out there. Get the, get it in console players' hands. Um, yeah, and, you know, go into fall with that. October. I think there's possibilities in October, late October, for a new IP. Um, what that is, there's, you know, the rumored Tango Gameworks project. Um, there's a bunch of rumors, stuff like Project Belfry. Um, I think there's a lot of smaller scale projects in the work at Xbox that have the opportunity to get a reveal at your June showcase for Xbox and have that moment where they say, boom, guess what? You're playing much like Pentiment. Hey, here's this project. You're playing it in a few months. And if they can lean into that toward, as we you know inch towards the game awards and we inch towards award season, a cool smaller scale project with a passionate team behind it, that's a great fill for October. November! As we get into, as I joke around, the Game Awards bait, the, the holiday season, that's when you need the, the slapper. That's when you need the, the system seller, if you will. So if you're, if you're me, I would be fine personally if Starfield got pushed to November. I know some people are screaming at their, at their dashboard of their car or screaming at their monitors right now. Yeah, if... if if it's me, you can push Starfield, give Starfield ample time and make that the, the console selling game for November. Just slap that in right before Black Friday and just have that thing just pull in consoles. I, for me, I think that is the, the approach, but they seem to be very committed to delivering on that promise of the first half or as close as they possibly can. So probably not coming as late as November. But that being said, Hellblade is the game we've seen the most of from Xbox Game Studios when it comes to the, the high-profile new games under the new banner of Xbox Game Studios from some of the teams they've acquired. We've seen gameplay. We've seen a few trailers. We've seen behind-the-scenes stuff. We've had people say the motion capture's done. There's a lot of things pointing to a possible holiday release for Hellblade. Whether I, I think Hellblade 2 either comes out 
holiday 2023 or Q1 of 2024. Uh, again, you know, release dates are ebb and flow so much right now. It's it's hard to really pinpoint. So that's kind of where I'm at. And if they can manage to get Hellblade 2 out in November, early November, right before all the game awards voting goes in, and that game nails it, crushes it, and they just have a year where they have Hellblade 2 and Starfield in the conversations for game of the year, I think that'll go such a long way in this criticism against Xbox and its first party. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't know that that's a, you know, for sure going to happen. Nobody does at this point. It's, it's at this point, it's almost impossible to predict a release date out 11 months. I don't trust any game really. I don't trust anyone who gives me a release date a year out. That doesn't work anymore. Those days are dead and gone. We are not going to get those days anymore. And when we do, they're usually just, it's marketing fluff. As we saw with Starfield, again, not to throw shade. I joked about this last, you know, episode that, you know, when they gave us the 11, 11, 22 release date, I thought to myself, okay, cool. They're giving themselves so much extra time to make sure that this game is done. And then it got delayed. And I was like, okay, you would use one of the cool date, Todd. Nice try, Todd. But, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I don't believe anyone who gives me a release date a year out anymore. It doesn't make sense. It's just, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. Disappointment. You're setting your fans up for disappointment. Don't do it anymore. Just stop. We don't, we don't need it. Just, you know, give us little tastes when you can. Give us little updates when you can. And I think that's a much better strategy. Because let's be real. Nothing is more hyped than seeing a new trailer and having that release date pop for the first time and having that release date be like three or six months away. Ooh. Oh, man. Especially if it's a new reveal. Especially if it's a new reveal of a game you're stoked about. I know in this day and age that's almost impossible because of leaks and all of that, that world. But there is nothing more hype than that. Than getting that reveal. Getting the release date and having that release date be very soon. Mm, mm, that is it, baby. That's it. That is as hype as it gets. So that's how I like it. You know, I, I like surprises. I, I like a good surprise as much as, you know, a lot of surprises are spoiled. And I'm in the loop when it comes to a lot of these developments and what's going on. Um, I do like a good surprise. Okay. I like to be tr treated and delighted to something a little bit fun. So... <laughs> No, it is what it is. Uh, and then finally, December. I put Stalker 2 as a question mark because of everything going on with the war and between Russia and Ukraine. Like, we don't know. That, that, that team is, has been impacted in, in ways we can't even fathom. We, we talk about, you know, not only do they have to deal with COVID and the pandemic situation, but then immediately after to be thrown into literal war, literal combat where your development team is dying in combat. That is a horrific, gruesome reality. And, you know, that puts everything into perspective in terms of, you know, what these people sacrifice to, to get games across the finish line. Like, obviously, this is a very extreme example. This is a, a heartbreaking example. But um, that team can take as much time as, as they need. Obviously, there's no pressure. Like, they are dealing with much more heavy and realistic things over there that them getting a video game out to me is not, not the most important thing at all. And so um, that situation has been kind of heart wrenching to watch unfold, but really has helped me, you know, get a greater perspective of, you know, what we kind of take for granted day to day and, and how we talk about developers. And, and, you know, when I see people say things like, Oh, well they just need to crunch to get it out or they just need to do X, Y, and Z to get it out. Um, those comments to me are increasingly disappointing as we get more examples of the, the human cost it, make, it takes to make games. 
Also, side aside, if you haven't seen The Menu, go watch The Menu. If you're someone who's been harsh on developers, who's tired of, you know, the, ex the quote, excuses you hear from developers or publishers for games, watch The Menu and, and get some perspective on, you know, the surface the service industry and how people sacrifice themselves and their art for people who don't care about them at all, at all. You don't care whether they live or die in any capacity. It's, it's a dark comedy. It is incredibly dark, but oh, it's so good. And it really, well, again, helps put things into perspective for, for a lot of people. And now, yeah, so that's kind of more or less my, um, my my guesstimated roadmap. I'm gonna I'm gonna revisit this as we get towards the end of the year and see you know how I align and how how close I got there. And we should have a better idea uh, when the developer direct happens on January 25th. But in the interim, it's fun to talk about the possibilities, and it's really interesting to look at the year of Xbox because I've talked about this a lot. But Xbox really is poised to have a strong year, a really strong year. If they can do a Redfall, they can do a Starfield, they can do a Forza, they can do a Minecraft, they can do some Age of Empires, they can do Ghostwire Tokyo, they can do something in the holidays like a Hellblade to finish out the year strong. I don't think, I won't have any complaints. I, I won't. I, I'll be hard pressed to find someone who will have genuine complaints if that list that I just had on the screen, if that comes true and they deliver all of that, I guess you can let me know in the chat and you can let me know in the comments. Will you be disappointed? Can you be disappointed if Xbox manages to hit on that level? Should anyone be disappointed? My answer is no, but I'm curious to hear what you think about all of that. And let's get to the community Q&A section of the show. So again, I talked about this at the beginning, but appreciate all of you hanging out. Tuning in. If you haven't been following, there is a Discord. There's an Xbox Chatterdays Discord live and rocking. There's a link in the description for anyone interested in checking that out. And there's a burning question section in that Discord where you can have your questions answered on the show. And so at the end of every show every week, we're going to dive in to the community question. So first up from HJ Mav, here's my burning question. Is there, with the current state of Platinum Games and them seeming to taking on any project put forward to them, a chance that Phil Spencer could look to revive Scalebound and really give that push, give that a push with the current hardware available to the Platinum team with the Xbox Series X? It seems that things that, that weren't possible to actually bring to fruition then are absolutely possible now. So before I answer this, let me just say, I'll never say never, really, in, in this day and age, because nothing is impossible and nothing is off the table if there's, you know, a financial incentive to it and there's uh, enough interest from the community. When it comes to Scalebound, I believe that's firmly dead forever. <laughs> Again, I, I'm just, I just said never say never, but I think that's probably dead forever. I'll, I'll say that. I think Scalebound doesn't come back. I think the chances of it coming back are slim to none. Um, but that being said, if there is this resurgence in demand, there is this, you know, improvement in the, the standing between Platinum and, you know, Xbox and Platinum in itself, because Platinum's track record recently hasn't been great. Um, they've had, obviously Bayonetta was a huge hit, but then in between your Bayonettas, they've had a lot of very inconsistent releases. So, um, they're, a, they're a team that's frequently 
overcommitted to projects and have been unable to deliver on those projects. So much like a remedy of the world, I want them to succeed. I want them to be in a position where they deliver great games and deliver games they're passionate about. But as we touch on, sometimes these teams have to take on projects to pay the bills and pay for the next thing. Um, so if Platinum wants to do it and if Xbox wants to shell out the cash for it, sure, I thought a Scalebound looked cool. I was stoked for Scalebound. I would have played that day one. Weird co-op dragon game. Let's go. I'm there. No questions asked. That being said, considering how it all played out and considering um, the lead up and then shutdown of it, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, they could have brought, I guess to put it in perspective, they could have brought Lionhead back for Fable, but they didn't do that. They had the means to do it. They had the resources to do it. Um, but they didn't do that. So I don't know. I don't know that Xbox really wants to revisit the negative past like that, but maybe, maybe one day. Next up is Goldshell. Do you foresee any more Xbox slash Disney collaborations? I'd love a Peter Pan story in Sea of Thieves or Forza Horizon with the Pixar's car franchise. All right. So what I can say on this, um, Disney was stoked about Pirates of the Caribbean and Sea of Thieves. Stoked about the pitch, incredibly stoked about the rollout, and incredibly stoked about the engagement they saw from within the game when it comes to Pirates of the Caribbean and Sea of Thieves. So I think the door is wide open for Xbox and Disney. We also know Disney's, uh, basically their head of the games division is very open to pitches. So I'm sure there's a lot of pitches happening behind the scenes. It's going to be a matter of the right fit and the right team. So if there is an Xbox team that's passionate about a project, I could absolutely see them going to Disney and saying, all right, let's do it. But I think the caveat would be, as they look to Game Pass and they look to first party games, there would need to be a deal in place that guarantees Xbox some level of control or ownership of it because um, they don't want to be in a situation where they invest in a big like a like a Marvel type IP and then lose it and lose the rights to that game and especially if it's a first party game so it seems like with if we look at Spider-Man on PlayStation that Marvel and Disney they're not opposed to those types of arrangements but I think that would be a big caveat for Xbox is that all right we can do this but that contract it's going to need to be tight and Sea of Thieves did the same thing. Sea of Thieves and Rare, they said, okay, we're going to put this in our game, but this is an ongoing game. This is a live service game. We have baked this into the lore of our world forever. So you, you can't, you know, you can't hit us with a contract that says you can just pull it. And we don't have, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean and Sea of Thieves anymore. So there are, there's, you know, evidence that they can do it. There's evidence that they are willing to do it. So I think that keeps the door wide open. Um, I don't know of anything currently happening, but I think there's a genuine possibility we see a lot more big first party and third party publishers and developers work on Disney material because Disney's like, here's our IP, let's go. We want games. And Disney, again, has a bunch of money to throw around for games. Um, Drawn TJ with a super chat says, I don't want cartoon and Forza. I didn't like Hot Wheels. You didn't like Hot Wheels? Oh, dang, that's what I have on the screen here if you're watching live. I... I like that ridiculous stuff. I like the campy crossovers. I like it to get weird. I want it to get weirder. So yeah, if you can find a way to get really weird with these collaborations, let's do it. I'm, I'm all for it. But I think that is going to do it 
for this week's episode of Xbox Chatterdays. Huge shout out to everyone who tuned in and hung out live. I, I know I talked about this at the start of the show, but yes, it's a weird Thursday show at a weird afternoon time. So I appreciate everyone, you know, taking some time to stop in and hang out and chat. Um, we're going to be back next week at our normal time on our normal day. But I had some friends flying from out of state into town this weekend to hang out. So, you know, didn't want to be like, hey, guys, hang on. Let me go do this podcast for two to three hours and then we'll go. We'll reconvene. So glad I could find a day to make it work. Glad you all stopped by to hang out. And with that being said, have an amazing week, amazing weekend. And I will catch you next week. Take care, everybody.